calls of this nature. Dial seven. Hello. Babe, I miss you. I see you. I see one who is too blessed to be stressed, even in a world where it seems as though you give more but receive less. One heartache away from surrender, you took an extra step and you continued. Through faith, you believe in God, but wear a mask when times are hard. But I see you. One of God's most beautiful creations who needs to be told, the determined woman who wants to make her house a home. An angel from heaven and now a blessing here on earth, an extraordinary unique woman of abundant worth. A penny for your thoughts and a dollar for your smile. It's like the sun beneath the clouds. Infatuated with life, a tear when it's wrong, but a smile when it's right. Holding on for your own, too blessed, too beautiful, too strong. Too sweet to be true, Rashida Duffy, you are my heaven sent angel, and I see you. This is Wetlock, my true unscripted chronicles as a prison wife. Join me on my journey as I bring you crazy stories, informative facts, updates on my husband, advice from my family and friends, and special guests giving their true life stories on the prison system. This is not your average love story. Welcome to Wetlock. Good morning, guys, and welcome to episode 17. Guys, we are two more episodes away from season two. Season two will air April the 3rd, and I am so excited. You guys already know how I feel about it. Um, so many new developments, so many um, different topics and content and it's just going to solidify my podcast you know i've been doing this podcast for about technically it will be three months on april the third and i have learned so much i feel like i've grown so much within this process my episodes have definitely developed a lot better from my very first episode And I'm just truly amazed at myself. I definitely want to congratulate myself on this because this is really big for me. You know, I I started out wanting to do a podcast last year. It just really didn't stick. My best friend turned me on to a couple of podcasts. I started listening. And it took me about a year to really get into the groove of podcasting and what podcast was all about before I really felt confident and comfortable enough to start this journey. And what really motivated me and pushed me was when my husband left from the holding facility where he was for about two and a half years and went to transfer to Atlanta to begin his transfer to the actual prison where he's doing his time. 
that was really the push that I needed. Um, having him locked down 24 hours a day, uh, I'm sorry, 23 hours a day, only able to come out every two days to call, to talk, to email. That was really when that push came and I decided to just go ahead and take this leap and start this podcast. I have been talking about it for a couple of months and that was my trigger. So season two is big for me. I have so much different things that I'm going to explore that I'm going to bring to you guys. I'm finally finding my format, you know, the things that I want to talk to, the topics I want to stick with, the structure of the podcast. You know, it's not an easy thing, but you have to find your niche within your topics and, and your show. And that's where I am now. So you can expect to hear a lot of interviews from couples. You can expect to hear love letters, um, love stories from prison. You can expect to hear conversations between myself and my husband, um, interviews with people who have dealings with the prison system, whether they work for the prison system, um, you know, have family members in a prison system. But I want to always concentrate on the love and the positivity to keep people encouraged, keep people encouraged to not give up, to fight, to do whatever it is that you need to do to bring your loved ones home and just how to stay positive. This is a very up and down obstacle. This is a complete roller coaster with a lot of different hills, loops, turns, and drops. And so I just want to give it a voice. I really want to give it a voice. And I am so thankful for you guys who have tuned in, who have listened. I've gotten some amazing feedback, wonderful comments and everything. And that's just a push that I need to keep me going. So I just wanted to, you know, start off with, of course, a good, good morning, good, happy Sunday morning to you guys talk about season two again it's it's april 4th i mean sorry april 3rd and guys guess what my bonus episode which will be episode 12 will be live from miami so stay tuned for that live from miami bonus episode 12 part one and part two will be live from miami now Guys, my topic of the day is something that I really want to, really, really want to get serious about. And this also is going to lead into what my serious note facts will be today as well. Um, I have been really, really going over my husband's um, plea agreement and his PSI and his sentencing, his transcripts. And I'm going to be honest with you, you know... In the beginning, when he first got sentenced, you know, I, I I paid attention. I read some things, but I really didn't get in depth as I have in the past month. And it really has started a thing with me. Um, my husband has been fighting for these two points, as I said before, as I've been saying, the duration of my podcast is something that was told to him if he signed his plea deal um, to accept responsibility and given 65 months and he needed to make sure that he had this plea deal signed in a timely manner so that he could get these COVID points. 
after going through his paperwork, after looking at his plea deal, after looking at his PSI, the more and more I've read it, the more and more it just infuriates me on a whole different level. And I'm saying all this to say it is extremely important. It is extremely important to read the fine print. Now, I know you've all heard it before when you sign different paperwork. A lot of people do not take the time to read. It's a lot of fine print and it's there for a reason and it's small for a reason. You have to take the time to read the fine print, guys. And if you need time to do that, don't sign. You have to tell these people. You have to stick up for yourself, speak up for yourself and let them know, I need time to read before I put my signature on anything. I am extremely big on that um, because you need understanding. You need to understand the ins and outs of this contract that you're signing. You need to understand what if something happens within this contract. So you have to take the time to read the fine print. You have to take the time to read what you're signing. And it's okay if you don't understand. Ask for help. As I stated before, a lot of times I read things, I have to break down the wording, I have to get the definition, and then I have to form my own understanding within my research on how do I put this sentence together for me to understand what they're saying. Because it's a lot of double talk, a lot of legal a lot of legal double talk and you have to make sure you understand and it's okay to ask questions i don't care how old you are it is okay to ask questions you're you're never too old to stop learning and that is very important it's very important because what i've learned within my husband's situation when my husband got his plea deal it was rushed and I strongly, strongly feel like his attorney knew exactly what he was doing. My husband was given a plea deal on a Thursday, faxed to the jail, and it needed to be signed and faxed back by Monday morning so that the DA would have this document on his desk. And when I tell you guys, having something faxed to a jail on a Thursday is no guarantee that that inmate is going to get their paperwork. Now, a few things stuck out to me when I started thinking deeper into it. Why didn't the lawyer take the paperwork up there? When you have an attorney, your attorney can come see you and you have the one-on-one room interview room where your attorney can talk to you can read to you can break down everything my husband's lawyer did not do that now granted it was a pandemic you know there was a lot of covid restrictions so therefore a lot of times they were doing video visits my husband never even got a video visit i feel like it was up to my husband's attorney ethically ethically to have a sit down with him to explain to him what these documents said. And that did not happen for my husband. What happened with my husband was a guard bought him his paperwork and basically did not want to wait for him to read his paperwork. My husband got upset and he refused to sign because he wanted to take the time to sign this paperwork. But you have to remember, we only had literally one day to get it signed and get it back to the attorney so that these COVID points 
would count because they were quote unquote about to expire. So within panic and us trying to make sure he got these two points, make sure he got this COVID reduction, you make, you know, make sure this paperwork was signed. My husband signed the papers because he needed to get it to his attorney. Now, so many things was wrong with that situation. So many things was wrong with that situation. I am now finding that the COVID points were non-binding. That was not explained to my husband. The reason why my husband has been going on these manic episodes is because he feels like, and, and he has every right to feel like something is owed to him because that's what was explained to him. And it's not just my husband saying this. It's what was explained to me as well. I feel as though I was used as an accessory. I feel like who would listen to their woman? Of course, your man is going to listen to your woman. I mean, his woman. And the attorney knew that. The attorney knew to tell me all this information, pull me in, get me to really put this on a silver platter to my husband so my husband would sign it. So not only did he tell my husband that he was going to get these points, he also told me, which is another reason why I pushed for my husband to sign this deal, because... I'm thinking he's going to get these two points, what would knock off time for him to come home within 65 months. And again, this plea was non-binding. Those points was non-binding. And therefore, we have some work to do. We definitely have some work to do because he was unaware, he was rushed. And in my opinion, it's ineffective counsel, period, point blank. Um, when my husband went to court to get his sentence, his PSI, his pre-sentencing report is something that's done. Inmates are supposed to get it at least 30 days before they go to court so they can look over things. Um, if there's something that they need to discuss with their attorney, they can bring it up to the attorney so the attorney can file whatever papers need to be filed, go back and forth with the probation people because that's who creates the PSI. My husband did not get that. My husband got his PSI the day of court. When he got to that desk and sat down, the PSI was open in front of him. So he never really had time to read his PSI either. And if if he would have been allowed the time to read his PSI, he would have seen that it actually said that the COVID reduction was non-binding. Not only were the COVID points non-binding, the actual points for accepting responsibility was also recommended, but not binding. Everything that they tell you, whether it's we recommend this, we'll tell the attorney this to help you out, we'll say this, um... If you take responsibility of guilt, you'll, you know, we'll give you, we'll recommend this, but nothing is binding. And it says it right there. They have the right. They have the right. The judge has the, the right. His discretion could be to not do it. He can change his mind. He can say, no, I, I don't want to allow this. And also the PSI people, the probation people can do the same. 
And within that PSI, it basically said that the probation people, although he did sign his plea, although, you know, due to COVID, you know, it was, it was a non-binding recommendation. They pretty much said that they did not see a reason to recommend, but again, it's to the judge's discretion. So there's been a lot of developments within me reading this paperwork and surprisingly my husband is not as mad and as angry as I thought he would be because I know I am and I would be but it's giving him a sense of understanding and a form of closure so that we'll know which way to go and guys again I'm bringing all of this up because I want you guys to understand how important it is to read the fine print and not only just to read the fine print to understand your civil rights your constitutional rights of being able to read these things being able to get an understanding of these things and it's important it's extremely important um And there's really no other way that I can actually explain it besides saying how important it is for you guys to read your fine print. It's you guys have to understand that due to conditions of being incarcerated, the up and downs, the emotional, the stress that our loved ones are up under sometimes we do need to step in and help them figure out things um we might see things that they don't see because this is their life this is them signing their life away and this is them being taken away from their families it is so big it is so big when it comes down to these these plea deals and you know these sentences um and 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 paperwork that's being signed you have to make sure that you are represented correctly you have to make sure that your lawyer is doing the best for you and the best interest for you and when they don't you have to move forward so that's where we are with this guys we are moving forward i am trying to figure out how to you know maneuver through this situation help my husband of course help him to come home or sooner than later but to just get the correct justice that he deserves i mean his constitutional rights civil rights um all these things are extremely important so we definitely have ineffective counsel on our hands we definitely have a few uh, uh, appeals that we have to uh, file. Thanks to my friend Demita for explaining to me that when it's time to file an appeal, we must make sure that within filing the appeal, that the outcome would have been different. If the outcome will, will not be different, it's almost pointless to file an appeal because we have nothing to really stand on to show just cause that, hey, if he would have done this, this would have happened. But that's not the case for my husband. Thank God. Um, we are. I'm also going to file the drug minus two motion as well that I spoke on uh, about two episodes ago. So I definitely have my work cut out for me. We have our work cut out for us. And I am going to do whatever I need to do, whatever's humanly possible um, to help my husband come home. So again, guys, seriously, read the fine print. Now, on bonus episode nine, 
I was asked a question. Someone sent, submitted a question and asked me, who was I? They say I talk about my husband so much. You know, I talk about everything else, but I never sit down and really talk about myself. So I'm going to take a couple of minutes to give you a little bit about me. Now, as I stated before, I'm a private person. This podcast is totally out of my character because I try to keep my personal business as private as possible because people get very dangerous. People get dangerous. People get petty. Um, and a lot of unnecessary drama comes with, you know, when things are publicized, you know, social media and just different things like that. It just turns into a big mess. So I've always been very private and try to keep things to myself, but I also wanted to take, I wanted to take a chance. I wanted to take a chance and being a voice on the everyday chronicles of being a prison wife. I wanted to take a chance and tell my story to help others out there who are going through exactly what I'm going through. You know, emotionally, mentally, you know, it, it causes financial strain. There's a lot of things that are affected when you have a spouse that's incarcerated. It affects you. It affects your family. It affects your kids. There's a lot of things that are intertwined um, with this journey. And so that's why I decided to do it. Now, as far as me personally, I'm 44 years old. I was born in Queens, New York. Both my parents are from New York. I moved to Atlanta when I was about two or three years old, I want to say. Um, and I have been here ever since. I grew up off Northside Drive. I lived in friendship apartments and I rep my hood. That's my hood. That's my hood. Vine, across from Vine City. And I had some of the best moments and growing up that a girl could ever have in that neighborhood. My neighborhood was more like a big family. Like to this day, all of us that grew up together call each other cousins. So I got a lot of cousins out there because we literally grew up together. Um, I went to Emmett Middle School. I went to Grady High School. I also went to Atlanta Technical College. I took up um, visual communications, photography. Um, I I went to real estate school. Yes, I did have a real estate license. Um, after I got done with real estate, I really didn't want to do real estate. It really wasn't for me. It was just something that was, at the time, it was something that was in. Everybody was you know, going to real estate school, um, money was really good, you know, dealing with real estate. So of course I'm a jack of all trade. I jumped straight into that. 19 years old. I started working at club Nikki's. Yes, I did club Nikki's, um, Nikki's and gentlemen's club. And that is where I began to build my character, who I am, what I stand for, um, my loyalty. A lot of things of who I am today came from actually being a waitress and a bartender in the strip club. I would never change it. Um, it gave me some of the best game in the world. Um, I was able to do a lot of things, see a lot of things. Um, I have been independent since I was 19 years old because I start waitressing in the club. So I was very fortunate to do a lot. I learned a lot. I grew up a lot. Um, a lot of my relationship 
issues definitely stem from there. You know, you you when you work in those environments, there's a lot of trust. You, the trust definitely goes out the window. Your innocence goes out the window when you start seeing different things or, you know, uh, watching a lot of things unfold. But an amazing experience when trade anything for 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 nothing in the world and i've met some wonderful wonderful people um whether working with our our customers that i'm still friends with now to this day um i worked there up until i want to say into 2000 2001 and then i start working at magic city i want to say 2000 between 2002 and 2003 Another wonderful experience. Um, me and my friend Val, rest in peace. We we ran a strip club. We ran Magic City. I mean, we were the who's who of the waitresses. If you wasn't being waited on by either one of us, you was a nobody. <laughs> like straight up, we waited on all the celebrities, all the football players, BMF, you name it. Um, those were our customers. We made great money. We actually helped create history because leaving from gentlemen's club you know monday nights everything was ours at gentlemen's club and once they closed we all went to magic city and we turned up you know so we created a little bit of history when we did that and we were able to meet a lot of people who are now who they are now who was just regular like we were like we all started together around the same time um after that of course you know i i mean i've i've that was the industry I basically stayed in for uh, quite some time. Um, I've had a few corporate jobs within that time. You know, I've gone to school for other things. And I mean, and I'm here. <laughs> I'm here today. I'm here today because five years ago, almost four, maybe, let me see, four years ago, maybe 2018, 2018, um, I was terminated. I was a manager at Club Babes. I was terminated and that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I didn't see it at the time due to a lot of anger. You know, I was very disrespected. I was handled in the worst way. Um, a lot of people thought it was funny. You know, a lot of people went behind my back and like and started a lot of stuff because I wasn't there to defend myself. And I was I was really disrespected. You know, one of the owners basically talked to me very, very nasty, you know, um, because I was trying to stand up for myself. And to have a grown man tell me to shut the fuck up and things like that, you know, and that was it for me. There was no going back for me. And at that point, I realized I never wanted anybody to control my livelihood ever again in life. I never wanted anyone to feel like they had something over my head that could hurt me or harm me. And that motivated me. That motivated me to start my businesses. I had already had a business going. I had a hookah bar going, mobile hookah bar, a mobile hookah service. And I also custom hookahs at the time. So I was already walking into that pathway of entrepreneurship right before this happened. And it was a blessing because once I was terminated, I was able to really focus on that and turn it into something. And that turned into everything else that I have going on now. So at the time, as upset as I was, um, as hurt as I was by what had happened to me, all the drama behind it, the gossip behind it, the naysayers behind it, the hate behind it, something amazing came out of it. Something amazing came out of it. I built 
the stones that were thrown at me, I built something with it. And I'm still building with those same stones. And that's who I am today, guys. I am a entrepreneur. I have several businesses. I have a few business ventures with other people. Um, I'm heavy into stocks. Um, I have a brother who's married, you know, two kids. Um, of course, you know, my best friend, my uncle, not my uncle, her uncle, Lord, my uncle, Jesus, her uncle. Um, everything led me to here. Everything led me to here. And I don't regret it. And I say it to anybody, you know, the road that you might be walking down might seem very difficult, might seem very hard, but it's leading you somewhere. And you just have to have faith in that. You have to have faith that God is walking alongside of you and he's not going to put anything on you that you cannot handle. It will get hard. It will get frustrating. Yes, you will want to give up, but don't. I have had a lot of ups and downs. I have faced a lot of and faced a lot and weathered a lot of storms. Um, I have had my back against the wall from people trying to box me in. I have had people to slander my name, gossip to stop me. Anything that you can think of, I faced it and I overcame it and I'm still going. I'm unstoppable. I am unstoppable. I will find a way and I'm proud of that of myself. So now at 44 years old, I am married to the love of my life. I am extremely happy. Um, I taught myself how to make cakes. I do custom cakes now. You know, I I have definitely, I have definitely done some things and I'm truly, truly proud of myself. So I hope that answered your question. Yes, I am gonna try to have a baby <laughs> this journey is about to start this journey is about to start um and I'm really really excited about it. I'm excited for everything that God has put into my life all the things that I don't even know about that's gonna happen but I feel it and I feel so good about it I'm heavy into meditation that is how I start my day that is how I end my night I'm into energy I'm into the universe I'm a strong strong believer in God I mean without God none of this would be possible I am not self-made I am God made if it wasn't for God I would not be here nothing that I'm doing would be possible without him so I thank him and I praise him every morning I open my eyes and that's my story that is my story I am building I am creating I am going to win I am going to be a female mogul mark my words when I tell you you're gonna come back to episode 17 and say she told us she really told us so that's my story guys it's so much more to it but for now this is not about me. This is about my journey with my husband. This is about the prison system. This is about trying to motivate you guys out there who are in relationships with people behind those prison walls. How to stay happy, you know, how to stay informed. That's what I'm here for today, guys. And again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do not forget season two goes live April 3rd. And bonus 12 will be live from Miami. And I'm just excited, guys. I am truly, truly excited. This is episode 17. Thank you so much for tuning in.
Okay, guys, so we have to jump into story time. And let me tell y'all about this story I'm about to give y'all. Now, this is a hot mess. This is some messy, 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 messy here. Um, Messy mess. Messy mess. This is some messy mess. So, now, you guys know when my husband was at the holding facility, he was there for about two and a half years. As me and my husband got to, you know, talking and growing and, you know, falling in love, my husband, of course, with his journey, you know, you meet people. You meet people. Some people have an impact on your life. Some people, you know, you, you become cool with. And some people you meet that will always be a part of your life. Well, my husband had one guy, Ben, shout out to Ben, free Ben. He's supposed to be going to court, as a matter of fact, at the end of this month. And I am hoping for a positive outcome for Ben. Ben has been a very loyal friend to my husband. Um, He calls and he checks on him at least once a week. You know, they really built a bond with each other. And I know that when my husband comes home, when Ben comes home, they will be forever a part of each other's lives. And he's a stand-up guy. He is a straight-up stand-up guy. And like I said, very respectful, very cool. He calls, he checks on my husband. He calls and he checks on me, especially when my husband was going through the transition process and I really wasn't talking to him as much. I was so stressed out, but he called and he checked on me to make sure I was okay. You know, we cracked a few jokes, laugh or whatever, you know, to just keep my mind occupied on something positive throughout that whole ordeal. And I so appreciate Ben for coming into my husband's life. And I do know that they will be forever friends um, at this point. Now, then there was my husband's roommate. Now, guys, you know, my husband being incarcerated, you know, he's in small in a small confined space. So some days or some nights talking to my husband, you know, his roommate is there. And some nights it will be like as if all three of us were just good friends, kicking it, having a good time, talking shit or whatever. This person became a part of my life just as much as he was a part of my husband's everyday life. When my husband's birthday came, you know, I I I was I asked him for some assistance because I was trying to buy up the store for my husband so he wouldn't want for nothing and just, you know, cuz he played a lot of poker and things like that and you know they don't have money so they use like food and you know things like that or whatever. So, you know, I really felt like this was a cool dude. You know what I'm saying? My husband felt, you know, he was around my husband. Um when my husband proposed to me, like a lot of different things, this guy was there for because this was his roommate. Well, guys, let me tell you. So when he ended up going to court to get his sentence and it was time for him to be moved out of the um, holding facility and transferred to where he, you know, was going to do his time. I want to say about two or three days later, my husband calls me and he's asking me if I've talked to the dude. And I'm like, no, like, why would I talk to him? Didn't he move? You know, he's like, yeah, he's gone. But, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to figure something out. And and I know my husband. So I could tell in his tone, I could tell in his voice that it was something else brewing. Something else was going on. 
And so my husband explains to me that he was talking to someone else. And basically this particular person kind of was just explaining to him like why he didn't fool with the dude anymore saying, you know, something in the lines of him asking him to contact his girl. I want to say, um, for him, I don't know if the dude was on the way to the hole or was he in the hole or whatever transpired. He asked this guy to reach out to his girl for him. And with him doing so, he decided to continue on talking to this man's girl, emailing this man's girl, sending messages. I want to say like hating on the dude and things like that. So this guy is explaining this to my husband, why he's not fooling with the dude anymore. And he then tells my husband, you know, that he was kind of surprised that he was still cool with him because my husband's roommate had been telling people that I liked him, that I liked him. I enjoyed talking to him on the phone more than talking to my husband, although I never talked to him one-on-one on the phone. Um... He made speculations about how I told him when he gets out, you know, I'll help him start a business. All of these things this man has told someone else. And now this person is telling my husband that basically this guy was saying that I liked him more than my husband. I'm going to help him start a business when he comes home. I mean, he went as far as to even just make it seem like, you know, I really didn't even really like talking to my husband because when we will all be, you know, on the on the tablet or on the phone or however you want to word it, you know, I would be more so trying to talk to him. And I'm like, what the fuck? And my husband was pissed. Now, what upset me about it was my husband really asking me as if it was true, but I do understand, you know, how things go. And I'm like, baby, first of all, like, And ladies, I know you guys can understand this. You know, I was offended way more because of who the guy is, what he looked like, what he got going on. And I'm like, baby, like, I can't believe you would even think to even ask me if I like this person. As you guys know, I have started a support group, Fed Up Wives supporting wives of incarcerated federal inmates. This is a nonprofit organization set to help both emotionally and mentally, but financial as well. To contact Fed Up Wives, please email fedupwives.org at gmail.com. The contact number is 404-927-8011. Please like and join the Facebook page, Fed Up Wives organization. You guys have supported me and now it is time for me to support you. Now back to the show. Sorry guys, I had to take a quick break. So we're back. Okay, so again, dude had no teeth. Um, I want to say like he was like a meth addict or whatever whatever his issues was. I just can't even believe my husband was even confronting me about a dude like this like I'm not I'm, I, I'm not the best thing in the world but I got standards and it's just some things and some people I'm not gonna communicate with be around or nothing like 
the type of woman that I am, that dude couldn't even stand next to me and hold a conversation with me on a regular, normal basis whatsoever to try to talk to me at all. So I was more so offended that my husband would even think that I would even like this man or even go behind his back and communicate with this man. But I do understand why my husband felt that way. And I was so pissed off guys like I was so mad to the point where I was like oh I can't wait when he get out and try to reach out and try to find you because I'm definitely gonna say something to him but my husband was pissed off my husband was pissed off and he was really like on some I'm glad that he is not here because had that man told him that while he was there oh my god it would have not been a very good turnout. I can promise you that it would not have been. And I just, I realized at that point from that day, I told my husband, I was like, listen, I would never communicate or be cool with anybody unless it's okay with you. If you want me to talk to these people, I'll talk to them. If you don't want me to talk to them, I won't talk to them because I really had to put, I had to put that, in my husband's head and I really had to sit back and think to myself too I had to figure out how to protect my relationship with my husband and realize how slime people are you know I'm used to it in the free world but I just had no idea that somebody would even formulate or create such a bogus ass you know story or whatever but that's really what made me realize that I had to move how my husband needed for me to move. If my husband don't want me talking to you, unfortunately, I'm not going to talk to you. If my husband has something, that, a message that he wants to pass and he doesn't want me to pass it, I'm not going to pass it. And at the same time, my husband also respects that even if he wants me to, if it's not his family or it's not somebody that I know that that's his friend, I, I opt out. I don't want any parts. I don't want those type of lies being created. I don't want that speculation being given. I don't even want to meet anybody for him because I don't want it to come out like, oh, I seen her this, that, and the third. Or, oh, she pulled up. Like, I try my best to stay away from the drama. I am not with the drama. I am trying to tell you guys, like, seriously, I am not with the drama. But that had upset me so bad because I couldn't believe this guy just really and and just said all this crazy stuff. And I really thought that he really was cool with my husband. You know, I really thought that they was like homeboys or whatever. But it just goes to show you that people really are snakes. But to throw me into it was a no-no. And guys, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe that just about two weeks ago, I got a DM from his cousin, you know, who has nothing to do with this whatsoever. You know, I'm big on respect. So this is definitely not like a disrespectful um, comment or, or anything like that. But you know, of course, that's her cousin. And she reached out to me like, hey, you know, my cousin was your, you know, was his roommate, yada, yada, yada. You know, he wants your contact information. And 
At first, I was going to respond in a very nasty way. But again, she has nothing to do with this. She's doing what her cousin asked. And then I didn't want to just throw her into the mix. Because again, I don't do drama. I'm not going to bring drama to someone else. But politely, gracefully, I responded, you know, like, hey, I'm going to, you know, let my husband know. I'm going to see what my husband say. And I left it as that. But of course, my husband ain't with it. He's not with it. You know, there will be no communicating with me. He cannot contact me. Um, and I have to respect that from my husband. My husband really didn't want me to respond at all. But again, I said something because I do know that that, that his cousin was put in that predicament and not really understood what was going on. But yes, guys, his roommate lied on him and said that I wanted him and I was going to help him start a business and that I wanted to talk to him more than I even wanted to talk to my husband. And everybody listening to this podcast, I'm quite sure, got their eyes rolled up into the top of their head because as much as I express how I love my husband and how happy I am, even you guys know (laughs) that is the biggest lie. But it was a lesson learned for me, um, uh, for me. And even with Ben, you know, I kind of had to get comfortable with communicating with Ben without my husband, you know, being there or being around or them being in the same facility until I really realized, you know, Ben has always had his best interest at heart. Every time I talk to him, he's very respectful. Um, and my husband was comfortable with him communicating with me as well so it was a lesson learned it's a lesson learned for me and it's a lesson learned for you guys please be careful um a lot of these guys will try to contact you and turn it into something else and by our men being a way they're vulnerable you know they can get emotional and it can get dangerous so you have to be careful the way you communicate even if your your spouse wants you to do it, give a disclaimer, you know, let them know, hey, I'm going to do this. But at the same time, you know, I don't want this to turn into a situation where I'm getting lied on. Just put it out there um, so that you guys can talk about it and it makes your bond stronger. One thing about it, um, especially now. Nobody could tell my husband nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? But we didn't, we hadn't faced that before. So, of course, he didn't know what to think or how to feel about it. Um, But now, now, you know, we faced that and we dealt with it. And now we know moving on, you know, that will never happen again. And that will never even come in between us. So, yes, guys, messy, 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 messy story. Be careful out there, ladies. Um protect your relationship let your husband know you know what i'm saying and 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 see for me my husband is the don't hold nothing back for me kind of man so i have to tell my husband stuff not that i have to like in that sense of the word but i choose to just be open and honest with my husband because sometimes not saying nothing seems as a lie and and i promise you it could take a story of its own so again ladies be careful out there men too just be careful out there um it's not always good to be the messenger it's not always good to be the messenger and you just have to be careful um how you communicate with these people so that is my ratchet messy story of the day 
Thank you guys again for tuning in. Thank you guys for joining me. This is episode 17. And we are going to jump into the meme of the day. The meme of the day. Loving an inmate is not hard. The distance is hard. The worry is hard. The sacrifices are hard. But loving him, that's the easiest thing I've done. And that is the meme of the day. And yes, it is the easiest thing I've ever done. If you want to see the meme of the day, they are posted on the social media platforms. Instagram is Wetlock Chronicles Podcast. Twitter is Wetlock Podcast. And you can also find them on the website, wetlockchronicles.com. So now, guys, you already know what time it is. It is time for my favorite part of the episode updates on my husband well you guys we have reached my favorite part of the episode and that is giving you the updates on my husband my husband is off the chain Last night, my husband called me. I was like, why are you so amped up tonight? I mean, he was like, it's Saturday night. I mean, you would have thought he was like on his way to pick me up and we was about to go somewhere. He was so amped up. But he's doing great, guys. Of course, he has minutes. So his spirits is up and his minutes are too. And, you know, he's he's doing good. He's in, he's in positive spirits. Uh, I'm trying to keep him there. Um, we talked about the podcast. So yesterday he emailed me and he asked me to send him all the information on how to find a podcast and how I could be contacted for a couple of the guys and their wives to reach out to me so that I could interview them and tell their story. So my husband is once again, being my PR rep, my, my marketer, my, you know, he, he, my husband is going to promote for me. If he don't do nothing else, he's going to promote for me. So he has been spreading the word throughout, you know, his prison about his wife's podcast. And I'm so happy about that. He said that he heard really good things. You know, he said that people telling him that he's talked to on the outside, that the podcast sounds good, it's professional. Um, They really feel like it's going to take off. He also said that... um. Uh, He's had, you know, he's heard comments, well, not comments, but people have said to him about, you know, how we sound like we're happy. We sound like like we're in love and he's just really excited. Um, And I'm happy for that because he's been on board the whole time. But I wanted my husband to like get into it because it's so much that we can do together with this podcast as it grows. So I'm just glad that he is... um, Hearing great th- things about it, I'm glad that he's passing the word on from his end. So I'm happy about that. He's happy about that too. Now, guys, 
I'm a little disappointed, but I have to respect my husband's decision and I have to also understand where he's coming from. He does not want me to come visit him, guys. He does not. I asked him yesterday um, about visitation. They're about to open visitation back up. And I was asking him about sending me my forms because I'm there. I'm like, baby, I'm there. I'm on the way. I'm there now if I want, if I need to be. But he said no. He said no, guys. He said no because the visitation is through glass. And he's like... No, like you're not coming all the way here for me to visit you through glass. I can't touch you. I can't hug you. I can't do nothing. So he does not want me to come and I can't do anything but respect that. As much as I want to see my husband's face, um, I don't want to see it like that. And he was really like, so you want to see me through glass? And I'm like, no, you know, I want to see him. I miss him, but I do understand. I mean... I don't want to see my husband behind glass. So I guess I won't be going to see my husband, guys. I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. I really thought that it was going to be, you know, like the normal um, visitation. And I don't know if it has something to do with COVID. I'm not really sure. But whatever it is, he says no. And I have to go with that. But. We got phone, we got email. Um, I'm constantly sending my husband pictures and things like that. So we are going to make the best out of this situation. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it will change. If not, um, we just got to do what we got to do. But I respect it and I understand it. So outside of that, my husband is doing great. He is doing amazing. As a matter of fact, I am going to play the audio of when he tells me no (laughs) no 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 so that will be coming up next but thank you guys again for keeping him in your prayers keeping him uplifted it is always always appreciated from myself and from my husband keep keep praying guys keep praying guys as i will continue to pray for you guys out there But yes, guys, he got his minutes, spirits up, minutes up. We doing good. We are happy. We are in love. And this is wetlock. (laughs) This is our journey. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you guys for joining our journey. And this is episode 17. We are almost into season two. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And we are going to jump into a serious note facts. Are you gonna send the visitation papers? No, I just th- I just thought about it. I was just about to tell you the same thing. We think just alike, baby. Fuck visitation, baby. Guess what, baby? Uh uh-uh. uh, are you Man. crazy? Man, what the fuck you mean? Oh, am I crazy? That shit behind a motherfucking glass. I ain't with that shit. That shit got. That. I ain't with that shit. Fuck that shit. Got visitation behind the glass, baby. It's crazy. That is crazy as fuck. You hear me? I Hello? hear you. Yeah, that's crazy, ain't it? It's crazy, but still. Still, what? You want to see a nigga behind the glass? I can't even touch you. We can't even fucking hug. I know. That's, that's fucked up, man. That shit crazy for man.
So guys, on today's A Serious Note Facts, I want to jump into something before I talk about my subject matter for today. As I have stated in many of um, episodes, my friend Demita Bishop, who has the organization FAIR, has been working on a case for a young man by the name of Matthew Baker. Now, on bonus episode 10 coming up on Friday, Demita will be on the show. She will discuss the factors of his case and tell his story. But today, today, guys, I want to share as an introduction of Matthew Baker, I want to share a letter, a letter that he wrote to his attorney. And it's pretty lengthy, guys. Bear with me, but it is extremely emotional. You guys know how I feel when it comes to um, incarceration of loved ones. And this letter is a cry from help. As a matter of fact, I sent Demita a message this morning after she sent the letter to me. And I told her that I was going to read this letter today on the podcast. I wanted to bring her on on Friday so she can come on and tell his story and the factors of his case. And that this letter was going to be an introduction. Her response to me was, thank you. This letter is powerful and it needs to be heard. Just let it represent the cries of everyone who can't afford proper representation. I cried as she was reading this. So... Guys, I'm going to jump into this letter. And here we go. This is a letter to his attorney by Matthew Baker Jr. I am scared. I know you all are highly annoyed by Demita and Kaylin Womack. Let me be honest. I've only known my two advocates for one year. In that year, I have been on at least seven podcasts. I have two articles about what's going on with my case. My mom has spoken at events in the city of Atlanta. We have had at least 10 meetings, which included both of them, my mother and myself. I can count how many times I've seen you all in six years. That's sad. I was talking to Demita the other day, and I think she's starting to get frustrated with me. She thinks I'm not trying. Those feelings have gotten even stronger when she met this 18-year-old kid who does everything she says and gets results. I'm happy my mom explained to her that I am not allowed to receive mail. Crazy. I just realized that when I got two advocates, my mail stopped. Coincidence? Shaking my head. Anyway, let me continue. Some days I wish I never met her as well. She's not a bad person, but her words slapped me in my face so hard that I have no choice but to see what's happening on my case. When I got hit with the indictment, you guys didn't even break down all the things that were all the things that were saying and and separated them from me like two advocates. When I do meet with you all, you admit there is no evidence or statement trying me to this case, tying me to this case. The only thing keeping me there is the accessory law. You all admit that you know that I am innocent. However, you keep asking me to take a plea for life without the possibility of parole. Because that's a win for you guys. 
That's not a win for me. My mom told Demita and Kaylin about this. They were pissed, especially Demita. She has met so many people trapped in the system because of their attorneys have failed them. A year ago, I met Demita and she had my mom send me the Constitution. In a meeting with my mom, Demita and Kaylin, they had me write down all the ways that my constitutional rights were being violated. The only ones I could think off top was my right to a speedy trial and not honoring my due process. However, they all pointed out that if my attorneys can open their mouth and say that I am innocent and then suggest that I take a plea of life without the possibility of parole, they are failing me. I have a right to a fair representation and that's the biggest sign that you're not going to even try. If not, release yourself from my case so that the state can find someone who will. Caitlin took a step back from my case this month and started focusing on the Georgia Capital Defense as well as Georgia's death row population. Based on her research, I am going to say the odds are highly against me. Now I'm terrified. Demita met courtroom shooter Brian Nichols. He informed her that his defense team clean out the capital defense fund for Georgia, for the state of Georgia. Since his trial, no person fighting a capital trial has won. Demita believes all those people are innocent. Why would a person who commits a crime so terrible refuse a plea and decide to fight? I understand that you all don't make enough money to really fight for me. Both women have looked into the amounts of money you make. To be honest, all three of you make more money than my two advocates and my mother. My mom barely makes enough to get by and somehow she still makes sure me and my siblings have enough, have everything we need. Demita and Kaylin have their own lives and yet they take time to research my case. Since you don't make enough, maybe you should ask these women to share the research that you use in my defense. No, it's not a maybe. I am demanding that you do that. Both women told me to write this letter and list all the ways I want you to defend me since you can't seem to figure it out. This should take much time. This shouldn't take much time or money to make this happen. Jacob Koski is the key to my defense. Since the accessory law shows that I have to intentionally be a part of a crime, let's start proving that I am not even an accessory. We all know that Jacob has severe mental illness. I demand that you all go pull his medical records. The only thing I know off top is that he has schizophrenia. People with schizophrenia live in their own head, whether they perceive what whether they perceive is how they react. I'm sorry, whatever they perceive is how they react. Don't take my word. I demand that you get a medical professional to explain each of his mental illness and use it in my defense. We also know that he just had he had just been released from mental health facility without permission. I demand that you go get those documents because they are proof that he should have never been on the streets. I demand that you go look onto the YouTube videos of him at his arraignment and sentencing. Take notes and pay attention to his behavior. 
I am aware that he was under the influence of a mental health medication the day of his sentencing. I demand that you go get the information and use it in my defense. There are rumors circulating that since he's been incarcerated, he may have murdered or injured more people. I demand that you go to the Jackson State Prison as well as Georgia Medical Prison and pull his disciplinary record and use them in in my defense. Jacob has written two advocates and told them that he wrote you all, the district attorney, the judge, and Fox News proclaiming my innocence. I demand that you use Jacob in my defense. If you all refuse any of these things, I need hardcore without a shadow of a doubt reason that none of these things will work. If you don't agree, I I demand you use them in my defense. You work for me. I do not work for you. Kaylin Womack isn't going to sit with me later. We're going to think of questions to ask the people that were also in the car. I don't understand why am I the only person sitting in this position when we all were there in the same car. Let's be honest. My mother says my mother was barely making it at the time of the incident. I didn't have a cell phone, so Jacob didn't call me asking for a ride. I didn't have my own car, so I wasn't the driver. I was in the back seat. I know the people I rode with are innocent, just like me. They didn't have anything to do with the crime. However, since you have me, they should be here too. So we're going to think of some questions that you all can ask them. I want those questions used in my defense. When these two women came on board, others were going to come help you all fight for me. You turned away three death row exonerees who were going to come to Atlanta and assist you all. Why would you turn away free help when you all do not make enough to fight for me? The only thing I am guilty of is being a poor black citizen of Henry County. Demita hates to pull the race card, but what else could it be? I was the only black person at the bonfire. Now I'm fighting for my life. Excuse me. I'm sorry. All of you have the evidence and facts. The district attorney and the prosecution, the judge as well, as you know, all I know that I am innocent. However, you keep pushing the plea in my face. I'm assuming burying, burying innocent people in prison so you all can get a promotion helps you sleep at night i apologize that you don't make enough money that is not my fault just because my mother doesn't make enough money to pay for my defense doesn't mean i deserve to die when everyone knows i'm innocent so i am asking you to do your job defend me please you all admit that you know i'm innocent fight for me And that is the letter from Matthew Baker to his attorneys. And excuse me for getting a tad bit emotional, um, but that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. Again, I will have the meter on the show on bonus episode 10 coming up Friday, part one. For you guys to hear the story of Matthew Baker, um, the factors of the case. In the meantime, as I always say, do your research, find out who Matthew Baker is, 
find out who Jacob Cosby is. And that is spelled with a K, K-O-B-S-Y, I want to say. Um, so that you can get familiar with this case and understand what is going on. Matthew Baker Jr. and Jacob Cosby K-O-S, I'm sorry, Koski. Oh my God. I've been saying it wrong the whole time. It's Jacob Koski, K-O-S-K-Y. Um, and just stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned for bonus episode 10 with Demita Bishop of the Fair Organization to talk about Matthew Baker Jr. and Jacob Koski. And so now I'm going to jump into my serious note facts, guys. Um, this is something that a few people have mentioned to me, especially my cousin, wanting to get the breakdown of the federal sentencing guidelines that I spoke on. I want to say, say um, episode 16. My concentration is all the way thrown off at this point, but bear with me. Um, I'm going to post a chart on the sentencing table. And basically this came from me, uh, explaining my husband's points, COVID points, other points, and his actual guidelines number. So I'm going to do my best to explain it again. My husband now is looking at 135 months. Based on his sentencing guideline number, when my husband was sentenced, he was at a 34. He got two points for accepting responsibility as well as one point for um, signing his plea early. His COVID points have not been added. So when you have a sentencing guideline number, basically it is a number that the PSI, the probation people, comes uh, put together. It is a compilation uh, or combination between your criminal history and the crime that has been committed. Um, at the time my husband was getting his sentence, of course, the probation people who create the PSI was trying to um, use the career offender points but unfortunately they were not able to do that because my husband by law technically is not considered a career offender you have to have two prior felonies to be a career offender with this one this would have this would have been a third the way that they were trying to say it but my husband only had one prior felony this case made it too so therefore he did not fit the requirements to be a career offender although that was something that they were really trying to push hard to do and if they would have been successful in doing that my husband would have been looking at approximately anywhere from 200 to 235 months to 327 months okay now, the way the sentencing guidelines break, uh, how it's broken down is you have different um, categories. You have um, one through six. Based on your offense level, which that would be your category, 
that plays a major part in your sentencing as well. Category one, two, three, four, five, and six definitely um, adds more, more time. Now, anything from a 13 above in a offense level of one, you get anywhere from 12 to 18 months, okay? Level two, you get anywhere from 15 to 21 months. Level three, you get anywhere from 18 to 24 months. Level five, you get, I'm sorry, four, you get 24 to 30 months. Level five, you get 30 to 37 months. And level six, you get 33 to 41 months. So the levels play a major role within the sentencing guidelines as well, guys. Now, again, my husband started off with a 34. He has a level one offense. That would have bought him to 151 months to 188 months. But he got two points off for accepting responsibility, which brought him to a 32. And then he got one point off for signing his plea early, which got him to a 31. My husband is again level one, which is 108 to 135 months, which my husband got the higher end of 135 months. Now, had my husband gotten his two point reduction for COVID, it would have brought him to 29. A 29 for a level one offense is 87 to 108 months. If you guys can recall, his attorney told him that he would get anywhere from 87 to 108 months after his PSI came back because he originally started off at 25. My husband's sentencing guideline offense level number was 25. The PSI enhanced him four points, which brought him to um, a 29, which was the 87 to 108 months. And this is what we were told once he signed his plea for the two point reduction of COVID. We already knew we had that in our pocket. So once his in, um, number was enhanced, we still knew that those points would keep him between um, 87 to 108 months. But without the points, without the points, guys, he was at a 31. So the 31 was 108 months to 135 months. And they gave him the higher end of 135 months. Now, had my husband would have been in a higher offense level number with 80 was 31 as his a 31 as his um sentencing guideline number offense level category of two would have been 121 to 151 months level three would have been 135 to 168 Level four would have been 151 to 188 months. Level five would have been 168 months to 210. 
and level six would have been 188 to 235. But my husband was at a level one. If they would have given him career offender, my husband automatically would have been a level, I want to say a category um, two or no, I think it would have, I think it was four, which would have brought him into the 200s. So keep in mind, you have to, the, the table consists, consists of a combination of your criminal history. Okay. Which gives you whatever level one through six. And then whatever your offense number is. So you have, again, one through eight is the lowest. Nine through 11 would be considered zone B. 11 to 13 is zone C. And anything from 14, from your offense number being 14 all the way to 43, 43 being the highest, 43 gets you life all the way across the board. If you're at a 43, no matter what your criminal offense category number is, you automatically get life. But I'm going to give you an example. If your criminal number, if your sentencing guidelines number is a 40, if you're at a criminal offense level of one, that's 292 to 365 months. Offense level two, 324 to 405 months level three 360 to life level four 360 to life level five 360 to life and six is 360 to life so this is very important guys whenever it's time for anyone to be sentenced federally there's a guideline. There is a guideline. The guideline cannot be changed. It cannot be a, a judge or sentence has to be made within the guideline. A judge cannot because he doesn't like you, because he don't like the way your hair is cut, because he don't like the way you sitting or whatever the case may be. They have to stick with the guidelines, which means that he cannot give you any more or any less within those number brackets. Um, and that's pretty much how it goes. It's, it's clean cut to the point, whatever your, your category is versus whatever your offense level is, that is how your time is calculated. And it is to the judge's discretion. And I'm going to say this again, it is to the judge's discretion to consider any of your points. He can opt out to consider any of your points. None of these things are binded. They are all recommendations. He can sentence in between. He can go for the low or he can go for the high or he can go for in between. And that's how the sentencing guide, the, the citizen, the sentencing um, guidelines uh, work, guys. Now, I'm going to give you a brief just a brief understanding of it one more time. Um, the United States sentence, Federal Sentence Guidelines are rules published by the U.S. Sentencing Commission that are set out a uniform policy for sentencing individuals and organizations convicted of felonies and serious Class A misdemeanors and the United States federal court systems. The guidelines do not apply to less serious misdemeanor or infractions. 
Although the guidelines were initially styled as mandatory, the U.S. Supreme Court's 2005 decision in United States versus Booker held that the guidelines are originally constituted the originally constituted violated the Sixth Amendment right to trial by jury. And the remedy chosen was to exercise those provisions of the law establishing the guidelines as mandatory. After Booker and other Supreme Court cases, such as Blakely versus Washington in 2004, the guidelines are now considered advisory only. Federal judges, state judges are not affected by the guidelines, must calculate the guidelines and consider them when determining a sentence, but are not required to issue sentences within the guidelines. So, as I stated before, it is to their discretion. If they sentence within the guidelines, they have to stay within that number. But again, it is to the judge's description. These are the things that are not in fine print that they do not explain to you guys. The guidelines determine sentences based on preliminary of two factors. The conduct associated with the offense, the offense conduct, which produces the offense level. The defendant's criminal history, the criminal history category. The sentencing table in the guidelines manual shows the relationship between these two factors. For each pairing of offense level and criminal history category, the table specifies a sentencing range in months within the court may sentence a defendant. For example, a defendant convicted of an offense with a total of level 22 a criminal history category of one, the guideline recommends a sentence of 41 to 51 months. If, however, a person with extensive criminal history, a category four, committed the same offense in the same manner in the same modern timeline and not during the older guideline periods, the guidelines would recommend a sentence of 84 to 105 months. Offense levels are 43 offense levels. There are 43 offense levels. The offense level of a defendant is determined by looking up the offense in chapter two and applying any applicable adjustments. The originality proposed sentencing guidelines had 360 levels at the time and their proposal to reduce the current numbers of offense. So originally it was 360 levels and now it is 43. Criminal history. There are six criminal history categories. Each category is associated with a range of criminal history points. Thus, for example, a defendant with zero or one criminal history points could be in criminal history category one while a defendant with 13 or more criminal history points would be in criminal history category four. Yes, four. The criminal history points are calculated. Wait, let me make sure. Hold on, guys. I don't want to tell you anything wrong. I'm sorry. It would be criminal history three. Excuse me. Um, so yeah, so category three, the criminal history points are calculated by adding three points for each prior sentence of imprisonment, exceeding one year and one month 
adding two points for each prior sentence of imprisonment of at least 60 days, but not more than 13 months, adding one point for each prior sentence of less than 60 days, adding two points if the defendant committed the instant offense while under any criminal justice sentencing, including probation, parole, supervised release, imprisonment, work release, or escape status. Adding two points if the defendant committed the instant offense less than two years after release from imprisonment on a 60 of 60 days or more a while imprisonment or escape status on such a sentence except if two points are adding committed the offense while under a criminal justice system system sentence adding only one point for this item and adding one point for each prior sentence resulting for a conviction of a crime of violation that did not receive any points because such sentence was counted as a single sentence up to a total of three points for this time. The guidelines require counting prior adult dispositions if they involve a judicial determination of guilt or an admission of guilt in open court. This reflects a policy that defendants who previously received the benefit of a rehabilitative sentence and then commit further crimes should not be treated with further, further leniency. So to break that down as much as I can, I will use my husband, for example. My husband had a a prior criminal offense where he received three points um, based on his his criminal history. Now, um, that's pretty much how they, they, they count, how they add their points together. When they get ready to add all the factors into your case, your criminal history. That's how they come up with that one big number. Um, and outside that one big number, when you put that one big number to the side, now you have to figure out the category of the actual inmate. Where do they fall? Do they fall within the category one through six? When you put the category mixed with the points that you calculated together, um, including criminal history, um, if they were found guilty, if they committed a crime while they were on probation, on parole, all these things factor in to how they get to this big number. You put that together and that is where you come up with your guideline number and that is how you come up with your sentencing range. Um, There are four sentencing zones, A, B, C, and D. Zone A consists of sentencing ranges zero to six months. Zone B consists of sentencing ranges above zone A, but within the maximum penalty of no more than 15 months. Zone C consists of sentencing ranges above zone B, but whose maximum penalty is 18 months or less. Zone D consists of sentencing ranges above zone C. A defendant in a zone A is eligible for federal probation and no term of imprisonment is required. Probation is also authorized if the applicable guidance range is in zone B of the sentencing table and the court imposes a condition or combination of 
of conditions requiring um, intermediate confinement, community confinement, or home detention as provided, but at least one month of sentence must be satisfied by imprisonment. A split sentence is authorized for defendants in zone C. That is zone C defendants must serve at least half of their season, season I'm sorry, sentence in prison. In 2010, the U.S. Sentencing Commission proposed expanding Zone B and C in recognition of the fact that many offenders are sentenced to 12 months and one day in order to receive the benefit of good time under the U.S. federal law. There has been adjustments made um, for reductions, uh, reductions in the reductions in time to be served a two or three level offense level decreases is typically granted for acceptance of responsibility if the defendant accepts a plea bargain however the the decrease will not apply if the defendant demonstrates behavior such as continued criminal activity um that is inconsistent with accepting responsibility um, there is also increase in time to be served. There are victim-related adjustments for hate crime, motivation of vulnerable victims, official victims, restraint of victims, and terrorism. Adjustments can apply depending on the offender's role in the offense, which can include an aggravating role, um, a mitigating role enhancements apply for abuse of a position of trust or use of a special skill using a minor to commit a crime and use of bodily armor or firearm and drug craft drug traffic drug trafficking crimes and crimes of violence in addition there are enhancements related to obstruction of justice including obstructing or impeding the emissions i'm sorry administrations of justice reckless endangerment during a fight commissions of an offense while on release and false registration of a domain name my husband did receive an enhancement um they enhanced him because there was a firearm um, on his case, although the firearm was thrown out, they still enhanced him anyway. So there's a lot to factor in when it comes to sentencing. There's a lot to factor in um, to come up with these numbers. And again, it's a combination of the criminal history. The criminal history and the actual offense is where this number comes from. And again, guys, I will post the chart on my social media so you guys can kind of look at it and go through it. But as I always say, do your research. Understand these sentencing guidelines. Understand the rules. Understand what, what factors in when it comes to sentencing so that you will automatically know hopefully you won't have to use them hopefully this knowledge will just be something that you can have in the back of your head like a library or if you have to you know help someone out but hoping that you don't ever have to personally go through this or any of your loved ones have to go through this but it's something that's need it's needed it's needed it needs to be known it needs to be known so you can have a better understanding because of the fact 
so many things factor in it's so many loopholes it's so much fine print that you need to be on it to be able to reference to these things when it comes to someone that you love being sentenced it only takes for one time for you to say wait a minute but it says xyz xyz my loved one doesn't fall within xyz xyz as they try to do my husband my husband is not a career offender but that's what they tried to give him. And luckily, it was caught dead on and it wasn't able to be brought to the table. And it is the judge has to do the job of the court. He represents the court. So they could not bring that to him and he could not give a judgment based on that because nothing supported those facts. But again, guys, please do your research. I hope that I'm giving you enough things for you to take with you. Um, I hope I'm giving you things to think about. I hope I'm able to, you know, inform you of some things, some things that you may have not known that may help you. I don't know. I'm just here being a voice and trying to help bring about some change, um, communicate with you guys about the love, about the obstacles, about not giving up, you know, Hopefully, my story is encouraging to someone out there. Only if it's one person, then I know I've done what I was supposed to do. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I know this was a very long one, but thank you for staying with me, sticking this out with me. Again, episode, I'm sorry, again, season two is on the way, April 3rd, live from Miami for the bonus episode 12. This bonus episode this week bonus episode 10 will be with Demita Bishop talking about Matthew Baker Jr again guys thank you so much for tuning in thank you so much thank you so much well guys this concludes our episode I hope you enjoyed it I hope you were entertained. And most of all, I hope you will continue this journey with me. Be sure to hit the subscribe button, guys. As I stated in my previous episodes, as I continue this journey, I will get better. I promise to bring you good content to keep you entertained. Make sure to follow the show's social media. Instagram is Wetlock Chronicles Podcast. Twitter is wetlock podcast if you want to submit questions advice or comment on the show hit the message link in the show's description and i will respond on my bonus episode on fridays for brand promotions if you want to join in on an episode share a story spread some knowledge please email me please email me at wetlockchronicles podcast at gmail.com wetlock chronicles podcast at gmail.com thank you guys for tuning in thank you guys for being on this journey with me i look forward to bringing you my next episode so please stay safe stay blessed and welcome to wetlock You can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, 
Google Podcast, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. For episode updates, upcoming live episodes, discussion forms, and contact information, please visit the website, wetlockchronicles.com. Yay!